Good morning. My name is Keith. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, so great to be with you all uh, this morning. Um, it's also great to be uh, the cap off uh, for our beans and rice uh, week. And so, uh, as Matt was saying, beans and rice week is something that we do every year as a church. And the idea is that we um, eat cheaply and then save the money that we would save on groceries and going out to eat and all those things to be able to give generously uh, to some areas that we have picked out. And if you've been around for a while, um, it, it, you know that on the, one of the Sundays for Beans and Rice Week, uh, we don't usually have coffee and donuts uh, for one of those Sundays. And so kind of the running joke between Matt and I for the past couple years is I always say, Matt, I don't understand why we don't have coffee. Coffee comes from beans. It's Beans and Rice Week. Come on. And every year, I don't get my way, so we don't have coffee. Well, this year, uh, Matt says, Keith, you know what, you're, you're actually speaking that Sunday uh, so why don't you do whatever you think is best and in the most spirit of generosity for beans and rice week? And I thought, oh, Matt, I had to think about that one for a long time. And I said, you know what, Matt? I think that you are right. I think we should do something generous that Sunday. I think we should give everybody free coffee that comes from beans. <laughs> I say all that to say you're welcome. So we're in week three of our What's Your Problem sermon series. Um, and, you know, if you, I, I can get up here and say this. Matt can't say this because it would sound like he's tooting his own horn. But I'll tell you, man, the, the one two weeks ago on politics was part of the sermon. I thought that was just a phenomenal message. If you missed that one, get online and watch it. That was one that I think really everybody needs to hear. And then last week we talked about uh, the question uh, or the problem of, of commitment and what overcommitment does in terms of our schedules and keeping us from doing the things that we really want to do. And then so this morning with our What's Your Problem sermon series, we're going to be talking about something uh, that I think everybody uh, can relate to and everybody has a problem with, and that is people. People, that's my problem. Because I say that because everyone, past, present, future, either is going through some type of conflict right now or has at one point went through some conflict and will at some point in the future go through some conflict. That's a tension that we live in as people. You know, we want to live at peace with everybody, but then our mother-in-law says something about our parenting that just drives us crazy and that creates conflict. Or, you know, we want to live at peace with everybody, but we have a coworker that work at work that does something that makes them look really good and makes you look really bad and that creates conflict. Or, you know, we want to live at peace with everybody, but you might have a friend uh, that does, does something or says something behind your back, and that creates conflict. That creates a problem. And so we all want to live at peace with people, but tension is part of our lives. And this topic is especially relevant this week and this season of the calendar. And the reason for that is, you know, when it comes to, to picking our friends, birds of a feather tend to flock together, Right? We tend to pick people that we want to hang out with that are kind of like us. They have the same passions, same interests, same beliefs, similar stage in life. Uh, we pick people that are kind of like us. But there's a chance this week that you're going to be sitting across the table from somebody that you have nothing in common with. You don't share the same interests. You don't share the same political beliefs. You don't share the same religious beliefs. You're not in a similar stage of life. You're nothing like them except for one thing, and that is that you share 99.95% of your DNA with this person. Okay? And that makes you family. 
or you might be married to somebody that shares 99.95% of their DNA with that person. And so when it comes to our family relationships, like my observation from my life is I don't think we treat our family very well at all. Because like I said, with, when it comes to our friends, as much as we pick our friends, our friends also pick us, right? And we know that we can't be total jerks to our friends or they won't be our friends anymore. But when it comes to our family, I think we have this idea that we can get away with a little bit more. We can push a little more buttons. We can let kind of the nasty side of us come out a little more frequently because, hey, they're stuck with us and they're my family, and that's just what families do. Families fight. But here's the thing that happens, though, is when, when tension comes up in the family, we have uh, two natural reactions. We fight or we flight. And a lot of times with family, it, turns, it starts with a big fight, and then the fight turns to flight, and then... Days go by, weeks go by, months go by, and you're not talking to that person. The flight turns into silence, turns into distance from that person. Uh, we don't see them as much. We don't call them as much. We don't check in with them as much. We come up with excuses why we can't, don't have time to go see them or don't, can't go to their house uh, because of this flight instinct. And you see, the problem with that is when it comes to, um, when it comes to this time of the year, when it comes to Thanksgiving and Christmas, is all the things that we've been sweeping under the rug for the past nine, ten months, we're forced to deal with. Because we come, we get together for Thanksgiving, we get together for Christmas, and you see people that you haven't talked to for months because of, of a fight. And so, when we get together for the holidays, there's just something, sometimes there's just something missing, there's just something not right. The same warmth, the same love and stuff, it's just not there because there's something that's there that's dividing the family up. And here's something else that I know, is that conflict resolution is an acquired skill. Like I said, our default reaction, our hardwired response is fight or flight. When it comes to resolving conflict in a healthy way, that's not something that we are wired to do. That's something that takes work and effort and knowledge and work on our part to help resolve that tension. And so the Bible says in Romans 12:18, it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so what, how does that work? What does that look like? And that's what we're going to be spending our time with this morning, is we're going to be diving into the scripture and the scriptures around it to look at this idea of what does the Bible say about resolving conflict in a healthy and biblical way. So before we get into the scripture, I'm going to pray for us. God, we just, um, we're so thankful, Lord, uh, for your love and your grace in our lives, God. I pray that as we uh, look at this passage uh, and, and think of the areas in our lives where we have conflict with people, God, that you can just speak to each one of us individually, uh, help speak to our hearts and speak to our minds and help us get what we need to get each individually out of the word uh, this morning, God. All these things in your son's name. Amen. Um, so we're going to look at, we're going to go back to Romans twelve eighteen. We're going to read that. We're going to go back to read that again. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so the phrase that immediately jumps out to me when I read this passage is the part where it says, if it is possible. See, the thing is here, it's interesting, is the Bible is full of commands how to love God and love people, Right? Can you think of any other command that starts out by saying, if it's possible, do this? If. You're like, well, if. Well, it's not possible. So I'm just not going to do it. It doesn't apply to me. It says, if it's possible, it's not possible, I'm going to move right on. 
But you see, that's not the point of what the if it is possible part of this passage is for, because you have to keep reading. And it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And see, the thing is, what it's saying here is that you can do everything possible in your life to live at peace with somebody, and you're not guaranteed to have peace. Because relationships are a two-way street, and you can be interested in peace, and if the other person is not, then there's a chance that you will not have peace. But what this means, though, is that if, if we can look at this and ask ourselves, am I doing everything possible to be at peace with this person? And the answer is yes, then we can go to bed at night with a clear heart, clear mind, because we can say, I'm, I'm doing everything that I can do to help resolve this. But I think the way that we read this passage and the way we think about the conflict in our lives is we want this to say, we really want this to say, if it is, a, if it is possible, as far as it depends on Aunt Sarah, or as far as it depends on my dad, or as far as it depends on my friend Billy, or as far as it depends on that person, then that's the standard for which I'm going to have peace in my life. And that's not what it's saying. It says as far as it depends on us, on you. And so the next question then is to consider, well, how do we know whether we are doing enough to live at peace with people? How do I know that I'm doing everything I can to live at peace with this person? And so if you look at the rest of chapter 12, Paul gives some great wisdom for what it looks like for us to love others and to help resolve conflict in our lives. And so what we've done is we've put together a checklist of sorts for chapter 12, and it's going to ask us a series of six questions. And each one of these questions is designed to help us consider where our heart is with, result, with regard to the dispute. And if we can answer six, yes to all six of these, then we can probably say, yeah, as far as it depends on me, I'm doing what I can to make peace. But if you say no to one of these, then that's a great indication that you need to do some inward searching and inward thinking to figure out how can I do better in this situation to help resolve the dispute. And so the question that really comes out of this, the most important question we're going to wrestle with this morning, is am I doing everything I can to live at peace with everyone? And so... You know, as I say, as I started out by talking this morning that we're going to talk about conflict, there's some people in this room that I guarantee you, as soon as I said the word conflict, there was a name that popped in your mind. Because you know the person in your life right now that you're struggling with, that's being difficult, that you're not getting along with right now, and there's somebody in your life that you know exactly what this message is about. And I would say if, that, if that's true, if a name came to mind when I started talking about this, I would encourage you to be as bold as to write that person's name or their initials or something on your outline to try to make this, this, to try to make this exercise as concrete as possible. So you're asking these questions with regard to this specific person to figure out, is there something I can do to make peace in this relationship? So the first question comes from verse 3. It says this, For by, grace, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And so it is natural whenever we're in conflict, we, we like to think of ourselves as the victims and the other people as the offenders. That's a natural response. We want to think that we didn't do anything wrong and this is their problem because this is all their fault and I'm completely innocent in this situation. But what Paul is saying here is we have to take a hard and serious look in the mirror at our own behavior to figure out what we either did to cause or maybe did to contribute to this problem in our life. And so the first question that comes out of this, first question we need to ask is this. 
is have I seriously considered whether my actions or inactions have caused or contributed to this dispute? Because one of the things you may find out, maybe I didn't cause it, but maybe I could have done something after it to make this better. Caused or contributed to this dispute. And one of, the, one of my favorite things that came out of um, the premarital counseling that my wife and I went through before we got married uh, was this kind of phrase, this idea, is that when it comes to your marriage, her perception is your reality. Or when it comes to your marriage, his perception is your reality. And what that means is this, is if, is if you're in a dispute with somebody and they have a perception of something that's true, but you don't even acknowledge that that perception might be legitimate or might be valid, then that's a non-starter for ever fixing that dispute because you don't even acknowledge that their perception is an accurate perception. And so what this verse is saying and what the, kind of that idea is talking about is we have to look at these disputes from the eyes of the other person. We have to step into their shoes and say, if I were really them, how would I react? If I were really them, what would I see? What would my perception of what's happening here, how would I see this situation unfold? Because when we do that, when we start to take a hard look back at us, back at our own actions, we can see sometimes that maybe we could have done something different or could have done something better. And so the hope here is, is that when you take a hard look in the mirror and you kind of see things that maybe you could have done better, then that identifies the things that maybe you need to reach out to that person and apologize for. And a great way to resolve a dispute is to call somebody up and just say to them, hey, I've been thinking about what happened. I would love to, I'd love to talk to you about this. I have some things I really, I'm sorry about how I handled this, or I'm sorry about the things I did. It's a great first step into resolving that dispute. You may go out there and you may apologize for all your stuff, and they may say, okay, and you're like kind of waiting for, okay, your turn, and they, they never do it. But that's what this verse says. As far as it depends on you, we need to take a hard look at our own conduct to see what we need to apologize for. So the second question comes from verse 9. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. So the question here is, do I really want to fix this? I even added, do I really want to fix this? I mean, really, do you really want to fix this? Ask yourself that question. You have to ask yourself, how sincere is my love for this person right now? Because trust me, I have been in fights and conflicts in my life where if I'm being honest, I liked the fight. I liked the fact that I was not getting on with this person because I wanted to harbor ill will to this person. I wanted to blame them. I wanted to play the victim card and feel bad for myself that they did this to me. I wanted to stay in that situation. I wanted to be in the fight because I liked that. There's a great line from an old Reliant K song that says this, No, I don't hate you. I don't want to fight you. Know that I'll always love you, but right now, I just don't like you. And that's, I think, we can all relate to that. We can relate to that situation where something happens, and you're like, I love, I love you, but just right now, I just don't like you. I need a second to take a deep breath and to go aside and just have some time together myself. But the problem is, though, is when we do that, like, that's okay. Taking a step back and, and taking a deep breath, that's okay. But then when we don't ever try to make, take a step back to fix it, that wound eventually gets to the point where it hardens over and it becomes an emotional wound that we have to deal with maybe for a long time that becomes maybe even part of our subconscious when we interact with that person. And so the idea is that if we sincerely love somebody, that love should compel us to want to sincerely try and fix the relationship. So question three comes from verse 10. It says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. 
So the question, third question is this, is do I honor the person above myself? And the word honor here is talking about respect. And I found a, a quote or a thought about this topic when I was preparing for this message that I thought was pretty convicting because what it said was, honor is respect even when you're not around that person. Because it is so easy for us to be in a fight with somebody and when you see them, you just put on the mask and pretend that everything is great and that we're best buddies, but then you're talking to somebody later and what comes out in that situation, when that person's not around, that really shows where your heart is about that person. That really shows what you really think. When their name comes up, you need to look at what comes out because that's going to be the true test of where your heart is for somebody and trying to figure out, do I actually honor this person and respect them above myself? It's like it says in verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. So do you recognize and appreciate their gifts and abilities? Do you attribute positive intent to their actions? Do you give them the benefit of the doubt? These are all questions to ask to determine whether I actually honor this person and their honor and love and respect them more than I honor myself. So the fourth question comes from verse 12. It says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And so the question here is, am I faithfully praying for the person and for peace? And I think this one is very connected to the second question we asked, is do I really want to fix this? How sincere is your love for this person? I think if you want to see a test for how you think of somebody Look at your prayer life for that person. If you can't pray for the best circumstances in their life, if you can't pray for that person out of love, then that's a sign that probably your heart's not in the right place towards that person. How we, treat, how we, how we think about somebody in our prayer life is a great measure of where our heart is. Because we have to remember that, that we can't change people's hearts. Only God can change hearts. Only God can change their heart. Only God can change our heart. And if we really want to fix things, faithful prayer towards that person and towards the situation has to be a major part of our heart and our actions towards the situation. And if you, can't, if you find you can't pray for the best in that person, then that's probably a sign that something needs to be fixed in your heart first. Question five comes from verse 13. It says, share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. And so this one, I think about this one applying especially uh, for the people that live around you. Because when it's talking about hospitality here, it's not just talking about how, you, how well you welcome somebody into your house. It's talking generally about how welcoming you are to somebody in general. If you see them at church or at work or out in the town or at school or wherever, how welcoming are you to this person? You can phrase it this way. Am I warm to them? Am I friendly to them? Or am I cold and detached to them? Because we've all been in situations where you're in a fight with somebody and you're, you're you're in a room with them, and man, it's fun to play the passive-aggressive, I'm going to ignore you for two-hour card, right? I want to make eye contact with you. Like, we do that, right? But that's a sign, when you do stuff like that, that's a sign that our heart, we're not being friendly, we're not being open to that person. And sometimes in an effort to make peace, how, we, how friendly we are, how, warming, how warm we are to that person, that can be a great first step to bringing peace to the situation. If you go out of their way to have a conversation with them, like if you see them at Kroger's, do you quickly go into the next aisle and hope that I don't see them? Or do you go up and say, hey, how you doing? I like your shirt today. How are things going? Do you reach out to them and talk to them? Uh, do you like their Facebook post? Um, if you saw them drive down the road, would you wave to them in public or would you be like, oh, hope they don't see me? Those are good measures to figure out if you're being hospitable to somebody else. 
The sixth question, the final question, comes from verse 17. It says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And so the question here is, am I offering grace or am I reciprocating the behavior? And so let's talk about grace for a little bit because I think out of all the concepts uh, in the Bible that a Christian needs to understand, grace is one of the most important things that we need to have a grasp on what it means and what it is. And so technically, grace means unmerited favor. And I always thought that is like the most underwhelming definition of any word ever. Like grace is this awesome thing. What does it mean? Unmerited favor. What does that even mean, right? So I think in order to understand grace, it's best to understand the opposite of grace. We've all heard of karma, right? Karma is what goes around, comes around. And really, karma is the foundation of our justice system. It's the foundation of all these rules in society and civilization. And it's the idea that, you know, if somebody does something wrong, there is a punishment. It's an eye for an eye. Karma is about fairness, and karma is about justice. Karma is about wrongs being righted. And so karma in a relationship means if somebody does something to harm you or to wrong you, karma means it's okay to wrong them back. They got what they deserve. Karma in a relationship means you stop talking to somebody. Karma in a relationship means you trade insults with insults. Karma in a relationship means that you have something of value to that person that they want, and you purposely withhold it out of spite, just to spite that person. Karma in a relationship means they get what they deserve, and you get revenge. That's karma. And all those things, we think that's fair, that's right, that's just. All those things come to mind when we talk about this, when we talk about karma. But then Jesus comes along, and Jesus changes all that, because Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. You see, every one of us have fallen short of God's standards for our lives. Every one of us has fallen short of God's glory. We're all sinners, and karma says that we deserve to be punished for that, for those shortcomings. But instead, God offers us grace through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And for believers who place their faith in him, that means that when God looks at us, God does not see wrong. He sees righteousness, and he sees goodness. And what do we do to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. It is a gift given out of love towards us. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor as I have loved you, what he's saying here is, I've offered you grace, so now you need to offer people in your lives grace too. We need to have an attitude of grace towards other people just like Jesus has an attitude of grace towards us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Jesus says in Luke 6, Verse 36, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. There's another one in Colossians 3 that says this, Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against somebody, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so with these understandings in mind, let's go back to that question. Am I offering grace or am I reciprocating behavior? Because have they earned your forgiveness? Probably not. Had they earned, did they deserve your forgiveness? Probably not. Have you earned God's forgiveness? No. Do you deserve God's forgiveness? No. But God offers you grace, therefore you offer other people grace too. That's how grace works. 
If you're reciprocating their actions, then you're acting out of karma. If you're offering grace, even when they don't deserve it, you are acting in grace. And so how does this look in practice? Proverbs 17, 14 says that starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Grace means that you drop something before it turns into a bigger problem than it should be. Grace means that you purposely hold your tongue when you're not in a situation to respond wisely. It means waiting until you're in a position where you can talk about something with wisdom and not act out of, out of malice. Grace means that you forget and forgive, not just forget. And grace is really hard. We are hardwired. Remember, fight, flight. We are hardwired for that. Grace is so hard for us to want to offer to, send, to offer in exchange to somebody. It's not our default setting. But if we can get our heart in the right place with grace, that is a great first step to all the other five questions that we've talked about this morning. And so as I went through those six things, I recognize that uh, some people in here are thinking, you know what? Everybody loves me. I don't have any fights in my life. What are you talking about? I don't need any of this stuff. And maybe that's true. I don't know. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. But the point here is, is that it's not a matter of if you get in a fight or conflict with somebody in your life down the road. It's a matter of when. And when it happens, if we can put these principles in our hearts and in our minds, when situations come up, it can put us in a great situation, a great, a great place to help in that conflict before it even gets out of control. And so the other people, the other folks um, who, like I said, whenever I talked about conflict, you immediately thought of somebody. My question to you is, how did, how did you do with those six questions? If you answered yes to all six questions, then I would say that you're probably on a great start to say that, you know what, I'm doing everything that I can to resolve this, and as much as it depends on me, I'm trying to live at peace with someone. And what that means is that you're probably in a pretty good place. And if there's not peace, then keep praying for them, keep loving, keep honoring them, keep doing all these things, keep doing them, keep doing them, keep doing them until hopefully they change their heart and want to reciprocate and make peace too. But if you can't answer yes to all six of these questions, then again, you need to take a hard look at the mirror at the things you say no to and think, where can I improve on this area in my life? What can I do to, to make it so I can say yes to this question? And I'll even go so far as to say that if you said no to one of those six things, and this is a really hard question for us to consider, but if you said no to one of the six things, it might be your fault. You might be the one that's at fault in this. You may be the one that's keeping peace from happening. They may be on the other side saying, I'm doing everything I can, but it's their problem. You may be that person. It's a hard question for us to ask, but it's a, such an important question for us to consider and take a look from their perspective back at our actions. And so I started out uh, this message by saying it is not a coincidence that we put this message uh, for this week uh, before Thanksgiving and before Christmas season, because, you know, these relationships, or I'm sorry, these principles apply to any relationship in your life. They apply to your friends, your marriages, your relationship with your kids, your relationships at work, any relationship in your life. But again, like I talked about, I think family is something that seems to be one that keeps kind of boiling up, and when it happens, it tends to be something that lasts really a long time and creates really bitter divide. You know, I, I was talking to some, just some people over the past couple months, and I heard some stories of some family strife. Um, I was talking to one person that said that, um, that he can't spend, he's not spending Thanksgiving with, with a sibling. He's not spending Thanksgiving with a sibling because of a Facebook post a couple months ago that was political in nature that caused such a fight and such a divide in their family that they don't feel like they can even get together for Thanksgiving this year. I mean, how heartbreaking is that, you know? I was talking to somebody else that said that um, they have a, a mom 
who has a sister, so it's that person's aunt, and the mom and the sister, they haven't talked for a year over a disagreement about a, about a religious issue. They haven't talked for a year. Um, I was talking to somebody else recently that um, there was a situation that happened in their family, and uh, a bunch of brothers had to come together to resolve uh, an estate issue of somebody that died in the family. And they came to me, and their prayer, they said, I need you to pray that there's not a fist fight that breaks out at this meeting. I'm afraid there's going to be physical violence when these people come together to help res- to, to fix this family estate issue. So I know that family tension is something that is out there, and I'm fairly confident that there's probably some people in this room that have a, a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad uh, or a child or some other immediate family relationship uh, that you haven't talked to that person in way too long because of something that hasn't been resolved yet. And so my challenge for you this week is to take these six questions and do a serious self-assessment to see where your heart is towards that person. And then also try to use this week to maybe take a first step into fixing the relationship. Maybe you're going to see them this week. Maybe if you're not going to see them this week, this is a great opportunity, Thanksgiving week. Just pick up the phone Thanksgiving Day and just call them and say, hey, I was just thinking about you. How, how are things going? And it may result in a 30-second conversation where they say, I'm great, thanks for calling. Or maybe a 30-minute conversation. That's a first step in really bringing peace to the relationship. You won't know until you reach out and give it a try. Because the holidays can be a great opportunity to help mend relationships, and it can be a great opportunity a great time for deep conversations that are full of grace and of love and of honesty. And so if another point is that if, if the two people that are fighting are believers, the Bible has a process that it says to resolve disputes among two believers. And the first step of that is to actually go to the person and try to resolve it. That's a biblical mandate that we go to the people who we're fighting with to try to bring peace and try to resolve it. And if it doesn't happen, if that, rela- if that contact doesn't bring peace, uh, then you can bring one or two people who are neutrals into the situation to help them resolve the fight. It could be, if it's a family fight, maybe some other people in the family that haven't picked sides. Uh, if it's a fight among friends, maybe you can bring another friend in to help you mediate the dispute. Uh, maybe you need to look at getting uh, in contact with a professional counselor or bringing a pastor or somebody that can come in to help you resolve this dispute. Another resource that I found uh, this week preparing for this message is there's an organization called Peacemaker Ministries, And Peacemaker Ministries is a national group that aims to equip believers to respond to conflict biblically in their churches, marriages, workplaces, and communities. And if you're at the point right now where you you think, okay, I want to take take that step. I want to reach out to somebody. I don't know what to do. I put the uh, website address up there. Go to that website. They have some great resources that you can buy um, that are books and stuff that you can go through, kind of self-help guides and journals and type things that you can buy and download and go through to help you figure out what those actual next steps are that you need to take. I want to close with this point, though, and that relationships are worth fighting for. You know, God gives us people in our lives, and these people are supposed to be a blessing in our lives. And if they're not a blessing, then that's a problem that we need to try to figure out how to fix. That may mean that the relationship may get worse before it gets better, uh, but when it comes to relationships, they are worth the fight. As it depends on you, peace is worth the fight. And that fight starts with your heart, with our hearts. That's going to be the place that peace happens. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, uh, for love and grace in our lives. God, as I pray, as we think about the people in our lives, the other relationships in our life, Lord, I pray that you make us peacemakers. You make us people that can offer grace and forgiveness to those who have, who have wronged us, Lord. 
so that we can bring peace to the relationships and peace to the people in our lives, God. Lord, I pray that uh, this week um, that you can just make us wrestle with our hearts uh, this week about conflict in our lives and what you are calling us to do to help take that first step to resolve the conflict in our lives, Lord. I pray specifically, Lord, for folks that are uh, thinking about taking that step, that you give them courage and wisdom uh, this week as they try to figure out what they need to do. God, speak to them uh, directly and help them uh, figure out what they need to do in their situation, Lord. God, we love you so much, and we're so thankful for your son. We ask all these things in his name. Amen.